0: Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, how the conflict in Israel and Palestine is affecting education on the local, state, and national levels. Conversations calling for Palestinian freedom and a ceasefire between Palestine and Israel have ramped up since the initial attacks by Hamas in October. Some believe Israel's response to the events on October 7th were justified while others say it's an excessive use of force. The multi-generational conflict has reignited conversations about the United States' relationship with the Middle East. Protests supporting both Palestine and Israel have now made their way to Arizona's college campuses, and responses from stakeholders at both the state and university levels have brought criticism. In December, the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, Representative Ben Toma, formed a bipartisan ad hoc committee to discuss anti-Semitism in Arizona's classrooms. We spoke with Democratic Representative Alma Hernandez about the committee and recent doxing that she faced.
1: Ironically enough, I was in D.C. at at the White House Hanukkah party. I returned. um, I was in Phoenix for two days and then I came home. And I came home um, and I had neighbors texting me, you know, apologizing and saying that they were really sorry about what was going on. And the first reaction I had was like, who died or what's go, you know, what's happening? I had no idea. And it turned out that um, there was a flyer that was printed in Spanish and in English with my picture on it. It had my home address, and basically was a very long rant about how I'm a Zionist and um that they encourage my neighbors to come and talk to me about uh, my stance on Israel. And, it you know, it was really shocking because this is an issue that I've been working on literally since I was 14 years old. Like, I, I don't remember part of my life not advocating on behalf of, you know, Israel's right to exist. It's not something that just happened overnight. It's not something that just happened on October 7th.
0: When we're dealing in this realm, there seems to be this balance between free speech and hate speech. As we navigate it, you sat on a committee recently on anti-Semitism in education uh, as a member of the legislature. How should we, do you believe, educational and governmental institutions can navigate those two boundaries?
1: I am all for allowing people to exercise their First Amendment right to freedom of speech. And I would never want to take that from people. I think everyone is entitled to their own opinions. I, Even if I don't agree, I think that's the right we all have as Americans. However, there is definitely a fine line between um, hate speech and freedom of speech. And I think one of the things that we've noticed, especially in this committee, hearing from not only students, but rabbis and people that work in the community is it, it's a problem. And you know, anti-Semitism is a problem, and it has been a problem for decades. <laughs> this isn't something new; it's not a new issue. But unfortunately, after October seventh, you know, we've seen a larger increase of anti-Semitism, not only on school campuses but throughout the country. You know, uh, seeing, hearing the stories from some of the students that testified in in the committee. And seeing how, in, in my opinion and in the opinion of many of those members on the committee, that some of the universities are just not taking it as seriously or or really doing much uh, to hold students accountable for their actions. Like I said, there's a there's a very clear difference between being allowed to say whatever it is. If you hate something so much, that's fine that you're entitled to your own opinion. But inciting hate and inciting, you know, Hate against Jews or Israel just because, you know, you you are upset about what's going on right now in in a country that's not the U.S. Is not it should not be allowed on campus, period. I don't care who says it or when they say it, but harassing Jewish students on campus should never be okay.
0: Is there space on a campus and we'll use University of Arizona, N.A.U., A.S.U., uh, for those who believe that Palestine there should be a free Palestine, is there space for that or is that does that fall into a more problematic speech, assuming they are doing it respectfully, not doxing people and things like that?
1: So I want to start off by saying that I'm not anti-Palestinian. I don't hate Palestinians. That's absurd. That's a lot that's been said lately. And that's just really far from the truth. Um, what what I do believe is, yes, the students should be able to say that, you know, they they stand with Palestinians and they, they are there to, you know, to be the voice for Palestinians. That is okay. What I don't find okay is when the students start chanting, you know, from the river to the sea, which essentially means, you know, just getting completely rid of of Israel. And I, I find that problematic And that that term has already been acknowledged, not only by the White House, but by the definition of the IRA definition and others that that is hate speech. And when you can you imagine being a Jewish student on campus, walking to class and constantly hearing chants of, you know, basically Jews should not exist. Like that would never be okay with anybody else. So I don't see how we should be okay with it either. Again, students can host events and rallies and support a cause without celebrating the murder of Jews, without celebrating the murder of innocent civilians, and without praising Hamas, who is a terrorist organization.
0: What were your thoughts after the the hearing in front of the legislature, that committee on anti-semitism and education, after you listened to all the testimony?
1: Honestly, <laughs> I, I was not surprised at all because again, I've I've been working on these issues for for some years now. I, I was not surprised by what I was hearing, but I was surprised, you know, to know that we we do have to do more when it comes to holding our universities accountable, especially our public universities who do receive public funds. We are reaching out, I will tell you, as a coalition, as a bipartisan coalition, reaching out to our universities and our board of regents because it is the job of our universities to make and make ensure that every student is safe on campus and feels safe.
0: I know after the committee meeting, the Students for Justice in Palestine were very vocal, saying they should have been invited uh, to have a representative come there and testify, and they want to come and talk to the legislature. What are your thoughts on that? And they say a lot of the things they're being blamed for, it wasn't them, they're just being blamed for at this point.
1: We We received as a committee files and documents from students who have filed these reports to the university raising the issues of these groups on campus breaking the code of conduct and violating violating the code of conduct as students and nothing has been done. Also, um, anyone is allowed to come to the legislature to testify. Um, this committee was specifically on anti-Semitism, so it had nothing to do with we're going to open it up to have a conversation about um, Palestine and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, that that was not the point of this meeting. It was to hear from those in the community about what we could do better around anti-Semitism. So I want to start off by saying the students could have been there if they wanted, and they would have been allowed to speak because that is what happens in our committees. If you are a member of the public and you want to be heard at the legislature, you can come and do that. Um, As far as them having their own hearing, they would have to reach out to a member who would be willing to Create a committee um, because this committee was a special committee that was created by the speaker and they had appointed Democrats and Republicans to the committee so they can reach out. I would encourage them to reach out to the speaker of the House and ask for a committee of their own if they want.
0: That was Tucson area representative Alma Hernandez. Since the ad hoc committee hearing, many in the Palestinian community have called the meeting one sided. Moya Abdulaziz is a founder of the Arizona-Palestinian Solidarity Alliance. We spoke about his thoughts on these conversations and what should change.
2: These are very troubling times for, for our communities. I think there is a war on our education, on our institutions, especially on our academic freedom as well as on our constitutional rights and our uh, civil rights, on our free speech, all of these are going on under the pretext or the guise of fighting anti-Semitism. These hearings are taking place with a predetermined outcome. We, We know what they're where they're going to be. it's it's very terrifying to listen to all of that that's going on, discussing very, very serious issue, which is anti-Semitism. anti-Semitism, it's a real crime. The focus of this is on the wrong people to use anti-Semitism, which you call it weaponizing anti-Semitism against advocates of Palestinian rights, is a real problem. You know, I welcome any hearing on any subject, but it needs to hear the opposing points of view. We're not against discussing anti-Semitism. It should be discussed. We're not against discussing uh, Islamophobia. It should be discussed. All of these are important issues, and we're not opposed on discussing what's happening on our higher education institutions. It should be discussed. Okay? But to say that free Palestine or from the river to the sea, these are the anti-Semitic issues we're talking about. Why? Why is free Palestine is anti-Jewish? Why? from the river sea is uh, anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic. Freedom for people under occupation is something that our country was founded about. Most of humanity says what's going on, okay, is an occupation, it's an apartheid, it's a genocide.
0: Palestinian students have said they don't feel comfortable expressing their views on campus. Jewish students have said they don't feel comfortable expressing their views on campus. What do you, what from from your experience do you see that the universities can do to make everybody feel comfortable and not threatened just to express their opinions?
2: The universities are places where students are growing to be good citizens, to contribute to humanity. And to do that, they need to learn and they need to be thinkers and people who understand what's going on in their small community, in the university, and in the world as a whole. They cannot do that while they are afraid. So what needs to happen from the university leadership is to make them the space in which they are not afraid to listen to opposing views and they are not afraid to speak their own views. Unfortunately, what's happening now is exactly the opposite. Supposed to protect those students and to make them feel safe to express their opinions, even though the leadership of the university doesn't agree with it or other student groups don't agree with it. But by you know, saying you're accusing a student organization of this, you made the gap between the uh, holders of these opposing views much wider. Just simply silencing them. The university should not be in the business of silencing opposing point of views.
0: That was Moya Haddin Abdulaziz, a founder of the Arizona-Palestinian mm-hmm. Solidarity Alliance. Last semester, a University of Arizona faculty member and a staff member were placed on administrative leave after audio recordings of a lecture about the Israel-Palestine conflict went viral on social media. The professors held a class discussion for a college of education course about cultural pluralism for young children. The two were put on administrative leave following an investigation that looked at whether they violated policies regarding political activity, lobbying, and standards of conduct. By the end of last semester, both were taken off suspension. AZPM reporter Paula Rodriguez spoke with the two about what happened, how they felt, and whether they believed it's possible to hold class discussions regarding social justice on these types of topics. Community liaison Rebecca Zappin believed that their discussion was no different from other contentious topics.
3: In any framework that people talk about, you know, whether it's public education or teaching as a political act, like it's very clear that like... The curriculum you pick, the things that you engage in, the children that you serve, the youth that you serve, all of it is political. And the idea that the institution is suddenly engaging in a way where they're um, saying that we're engaging in political activity, <laughs> is it's like this double-edged sword of when they choose to apply that. You know, the last couple of elections have been very loaded for lots of folks, and We engage in that all of the time. And we know how to do it in a way that isn't advocating for one thing over another. So in this instance, it was political because we engaged in content that humanized people who are not being humanized. I don't know that that is like really digging into a certain political agenda. Like me as an individual in the world, I don't believe that to be true.
0: To listen to their full interview and story, head to our website or listen to the podcast version of this episode.
3: Now we take
0: a 10,000-foot view level of the issue. Some who support Israel say that being anti-Zionist is inherently anti-Semitic. Others believe that genocide is being supported if there are no calls for a free Palestine and a ceasefire. The range of views has brought forward questions regarding the line between free speech, academic freedom, and hate speech. So we spoke with former UA Law School Dean and free speech expert, Tony Massaro. We started our conversation on academic freedom and free speech.
4: Well, I think one thing that's worth disentangling is academic freedom and something many people wrongly think is coterminous with it, which is freedom of speech. Um, They're not the same thing. You know there are so many ways in which speech on campus, academic freedom on campus, are not neither is boundless. And um, uh, there's been a lot of focus, rightly so, on freedom of speech and its limits, academic freedom and and, and its limits. Um, but I think it's a real educational moment for people to understand the suite of constitutional um thing you know rules that bind us as a public university, and then. Even more so, it's not just federal constitutions, but the state laws that bind us, and then statutes that bind us, and accreditation standards that bind us, and and it, it goes on and on. I mean, it's it's it, there are a lot of considerations which end up making it very hard to answer things succinctly. Um, so let's hope we can maybe make people um, issue sensitive. You know, these are things that. If I was gonna teach you about free speech, I would say to have a a year, and then let's keep talking for the rest of our lives. Um, But in a nutshell, academic freedom refers to a concept that American academic institutions borrowed from or were educated by um, German intellectuals and German centers of academic inquiry. Within the field, you have freedom to teach and to research without interference from appointing authorities. It didn't mean that you could do or say anything and call it academic freedom. But the duty that, that we owe, principles of academic freedom, aren't the same as free speech. Free speech is an individual right. Academic freedom is better, I think, conceptualized as a duty to the public itself and to the judgment of members of your own profession. And I need this free zone in order to do something that's not not that's subject to some questioning um, and limits. Um, but those limits are about, I think, attending to an authority higher than oneself in order to produce something that will advance the world's store of knowledge. So academic freedom you know, has those parameters and it transformed education in the United States. And uh, private and public, and it, it was also rejecting the notion that the institutions existed to teach young men in accepted moral truths, um, and in, in moving us to a different place in terms of what we conceptualize as our mission as academics.
0: But as you said, a lot of people flip the the two phrases, academic freedom and freedom of speech which is a constitutional right and from your explanation it doesn't sound like those two may run in parallel they may cross and meet but they don't always and that's not a bad thing it doesn't sound like either uh,
4: they they would intersect to the extent that it, now that takes a stepping back and what does the first amendment have to say about speech on campus well if you're asking how it intersects with academic freedom Academic freedom, I think I'd narrow it to say, what does the First Amendment say about freedom of speech of professors or people engaged in research and teaching at institutions of higher education, public or private? The First Amendment by itself doesn't say anything about private institutions. They are not bound by the Constitution per se. Uh, because only only government institutions can violate your free speech, but anyone worth its salt has adopted free speech principles for itself, embraced them, and those are enforceable in those private places. And usually adopted them on the same terms as what finds us here at the University of Arizona as a as a uh, government institution. But say that I'm, you ask me, can the teacher say this? Um, The first, you know, and a part of it would be the teacher will say, I can say that because if you tell me I can't, you're violating my academic freedom. Okay, that's, you look at the AAUP, American Association of University Professors, principals, and you would ask, is it unduly invading their teaching and research autonomy? Um, uh, Are they teaching, are they being quacks? Um, Are they teaching in an abusive way that has nothing to do with um, you know advancing the world's store of knowledge you know blah 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 it's, it's its own set of questions freedom of speech in a in a public institution would ask related questions about what that professor can and cannot do um, but but in neither zone is that professor free to do whatever they want if you ask me and i am a professor i've been teaching here for dinosaurs roamed the earth when I started. Um, when I walk around campus, and even when I'm off campus, if you ask me what are my free speech rights, I would have to say something that's become anathema right now. It depends. Context matters. And the First Amendment, if you're just asking me about those, what I can, can and cannot do, uh, the answer is very ornate, very content-text te- te- specific, um, and more than we could cover um, in this limited amount of time, the simplest version is: I am at my zenith in my powers when I'm not speaking in an official role, like teaching a class that I was hired to teach, and there's some boundaries around it, etc. Um, and, and if I'm engaged in political speech, um, and you know, I, I don't drop my constitutional rights at the schoolhouse door, right? And um, and I'm entitled uh, to speak. Freely, and my employer, my government employer, has a limited ability to control me in that sphere, but lots of authority to control me in other roles that I, I may undertake.
0: Do some of the circumstances thing you need to be mindful of change locationally on campus in the sense of you are a professor, former dean of the law school. And if you want to talk about, for example, the Israel-Palestine conflict versus a professor who's teaching foreign affairs or history on the other side of campus from you, do you have to operate under different rules because you're working in a different space?
4: When the government undertakes to open a university, it has a job to do. And uh, and the rules... Um, uh, Enabled it to tell me to do the job I was hired to do within certain parameters again, uh, and to get it done. If they hired me to teach math, and um, and I get into uh, teaching them uh, beyond my expertise, that's a red flag. Yeah, it's 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 a question of competence and and what I'm doing at that moment, and whether or not it's it's almost like a relevance point um, and. Again, you know, there's these things, there are no, there's no Archimedean point. There's no perfect place or boundary that defines when it's relevant versus when it's not. But the less material, the less relevant it is to what I'm supposed to be doing, people might question, why are you doing that there? Right. The location matters. Um, And um, I may then tumble upstairs and have office hours and we'll talk about almost anything that the student wants to talk about. but, again, it's not just the free speech and the subject matter. It's also how. But location, location, location does matter. Role matters. Topic matters. Freedom of the students to come or go matters. Um, and uh, competence matters. You know, there are, again, back to academic freedom. If I taught them uh, the Constitution is meaningless and walked out, that would be really pushing the boundaries of academic freedom. Even there, I would get a little nervous, right? (laughs) Because the Constitution's not perfect. There I said it. Um, But I personally would think that the, the dean, if I got a call from the dean, I would expect it. And I better have a darn good explanation for why I did that in a course in which 90 students are sitting there hoping at the end of it to know something besides that I don't think the document's perfect.
0: That was former UA Law School dean and free speech expert, Tony Massaro. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast, Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR app. Paula Rodriguez produced this week's episode with production help from Desiree Tucker. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.